From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And today, my usual co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the brand identity theorist, is out. And instead, I have the good fortune of having Ludo Cesario, who's a professor at the Lehigh College of Business. She's a former colleague of ours here at the Wharton School, and she's going to join us for this radio show. Hello, Ludo. Hey, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I I love when you're on the show because then we get to talk about luxury, which is something that you know quite (laughs) a bit about. So we'll try to figure out how we can fit luxury into every single segment. Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. So today, um, if you'd like to ask us or any of our guests that we're going to have on the show a question, please feel free to call in at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And to, let's tell you what we're going to talk about today, so you have an idea about whether or not you want to call in. For our first segment, we have Janine Poggi who is the Assistant Managing Editor of AdAge, and she's the one who's going to try to keep us honest about what's happening in the news and what she's been interested in. And then in our Spotlight segment, we have two guests. We have Jeff Klein, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, and we also have Emily Vega, who's the founder of Minidip. And we'll be talking to them about what they're doing in their latest advertising campaigns, their latest brand campaigns, and some really interesting things that are very very relevant for summer, which we are finally in. But let's start off now. Let me introduce our first guest, Janine Poggi, who, as I said, is the Assistant Managing Editor at AdAge. Janine, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So what we'd like to do right now is play our Hit and Miss segment. Hit. Bullseye. Or miss. Just a bit outside. So before we talk about what Janine's been writing about and what she's an expert, we're going to play uh, what she's not an expert at, stories she hasn't written about, but what's been happening in the news, and get her opinions and Ludo's opinions on it. So Ludo, well, I was told that you have a hit and miss. You want to start out with your hit and miss for us? Sure. Um, I'm actually curious to hear yours and Janine's perspective on this because I'm not sure it's a hit or a miss. Um, As you probably have heard, Apple uh, released its latest new tech product called the Vision Pro, which is the super cool. I'm sure our listeners know, but we'll just give them a little intro to what it is. It's the super interesting uh, headset that kind of looks like a ski mask. and it does VR and AR. Um, and apparently it's really impressive from a digital capability perspective. They're calling it spatial computing and you can do all sorts of things. You can, you know, pinch things in real life and move them in like the virtual space. So it's really starting to blend, um, you know, virtual and physical. Um, you can, you know, video call with a 3D avatar of yourself, like all these cool things. Uh, the only thing is it costs almost $3,500. Um, and so, you know, I'm a luxury researcher. And so the question I want to ask is, you know, A, is it a luxury product, which I think we can agree it is, but also is it a hit or a miss? And my perspective is not so much from a technical or technological perspective, because I don't have, you know, that skill set to evaluate it, but from a fashion perspective. There's been in the last week a lot of discussion about whether it is a fashion piece as well. Oh, wow. um, 
And apparently luxury brands in particular have started to discuss how they plan to use it more of as a tool for them rather than a consumer product. You know, they've been starting to throw things around like doing these really cool virtual catwalks or these, um, you know, augmented reality catalogs where then consumers can directly shop from the headset. So I'm curious to hear your perspectives, Janine and Barbara, of course. Um, you know, do you think it's a hit or a miss? Yeah, that's yeah, a great I, question. Let me ask Janine. Go in, weigh in with your journalistic industry perspective. This is an interesting one. In my previous roles, I covered the TV and entertainment industry. And at the time, we were talking a lot about the move into 3D, right? And you had those big clunky glasses and everyone said like all the networks were introducing 3D, even channels and content and all of that. And when you incorporate the price, but also like the clumsy nature of sitting there and doing anything involving entertainment or lean back, you know, engagement uh, with a headset on, it becomes really hard to believe that there's going to be mass adoption of a product like that. And I think that's where the hiccup really lies. I think there's a lot of interesting things happening happening in Web3 and the metaverse, virtual goods and avatars and all of those things. And I get like the real excitement of having something that brings it all together. But one, like if you really are going to talk about a metaverse that is open and interchangeable with other worlds, like you need a mass adoption. And I just don't think any kind of headset and then when you factor in the price is going to do that. That's really interesting. I mean, I agree with you. I think the metaverse, if you define it as 24-7 immersive media, is absolutely here to stay. But whether or not you mm-hmm. want to have virtual, you know, virtual reality, how necessary that is, is actually what I guess Apple is depending on. Um, and so I've seen a lot of pundits talk about it. And basically, they think this might be Apple's first big failure. Um, I've seen people talk about that. But on the other hand, it is Apple. And when they make, you know, they make hardware, they make it pretty cool. Ludo, have you read Mm -hmm. anything about what the actual product experience is like using it as a hardware? Yeah, I actually read an article of one of, I think it was from the New York Times, one of the journalists got to wear it. um, And then he was describing his experience. And it was pretty mind blowing. It was like incredibly seamless. Because it was basically, you know, blowing up a screen into like 360 degrees around your head. So you could look anywhere and you could have multiple screens like basically from your laptop you could grab and move things and to me this idea of having a 3d avatar of yourself when you're on a call right because this thing is covering your eyes so if i'm talking to you on a facetime you can't see my face and so basically you can create this 3d you know avatar version of yourself and it's supposed to be pretty amazing like at first people can't really tell that you're wearing these you know goggles um, so from a you know, technological perspective, it seems really advanced. So to Janine's point, I'm curious to see you know, what the adoption is going to be of this product. Um, the one thing that the journalist was saying, which I think is still kind of the problem to Janine's point, is this idea of isolation, right? That you are still wearing these goggles by yourself in your living room. And so even though they're all about you know, productive connection, you're alone in your house. You're um, physically alone, but within of... the within the environment, you're communicating yeah. with other avatars, and it becomes very social that way. It is an interesting question about whether it's luxury or not. I mean, the price tag clearly puts it out of the reach of many people, so probably the early yeah. adopters are going to have to be the big spenders who are 
likely the same ones who spend in luxury. And Ludo, you can speak to this also. Luxury has really adopted the importance of customer experience and doing innovative stuff. We saw some pretty cool things that Louis Vuitton did, that Gucci did. And so the idea that maybe you could create some kind of luxury experience that's almost exclusive, you know, so... You know, you're talking about the social thing, but if I can partner with other people in this exclusive virtual reality world, there might be something to that. And you can invite celebrities. I'd, I'd go there, you know, if Kim Kardashian was going to join me. I mean, that kind of makes sense. What do you think about that sure. angle? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, right? And especially, you know, luxury consumers are really into customization. And so the fact that I can get this tailored experience to me and to my preferences and my needs, uh, but then like you were saying, also make it a social experience, whether with influencers or, you know, right now creators is like a really big buzzword even for luxury. Um, So I think there's really an opportunity there. I'm just curious to see how it's actually going to play out. Yeah, it'd be pretty interesting. Um, so what do you think? Bottom line, hit or miss, Ludo? Uh, for now, I'm going to say hit. Okay, tentative hit. What about you, Janine? Uh, I, I think miss. I, I think it's going to be a hard sell to get mass, mass adoption for it. Yeah, I think that's, that's my sense, too, that it's going to be hard to get people to believe in the VR, but the concept and the idea, that's awesome. I'm totally there for yeah. 24-7 immersive media. So I'm going to come in right in the middle, and we won't have an answer. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. Let's go from one tech group to another tech group. One more hit, uh, hit or miss question on news, and I'm curious if you've had – I don't know if you've had time to digest this at all because um, it's kind of a brand-new story, but the EU is going to start coming in with antitrust issues around Google, um, and that's going to threaten its advertising um, model. Janine, as a advertising journalist, I wonder – it might be too soon to ask you, but have you given any thought to this? Yeah, I mean, look, Google, in terms of like data privacy and what they've been trying to do, and the whole industry, you know, quite frankly, has been trying to do, Apple included in, in this, is really crack down on privacy. And we see a lot of this happening. 2024 will be the year that Google uh, does away with its cookies, which mm-hmm. are the online trackers. And it's a massive issue for the ad world, which is really reliant on cookies in order to target consumers and deliver, you know, those uh, ads that you get online that seem very tailored and specific to uh, your searches and your, you know, shopping experience and all of that. And Google will be doing away with that and is working on frameworks to figure out how do they continue to drive an experience for advertisers that is tailored and is targeted, but it's going to be hard. And, you know, some uh, social platforms are already seeing the effects of that from the what Apple has already done, you know, uh, Uh, Twitter and Facebook and Snap have all talked about the implications of that and how it's, you know, stymieing some of their ad revenue. So it's definitely an issue that we're going to continue to see and deal with. I think ad targeting and privacy is probably one of the biggest concerns in the industry right now. So it's clearly a miss for Google, but it's one that's been uh, has been anticipated and they've been they've been seeing it coming for a long time. Ludo, do you have a perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, I agree completely with Janine, right? This idea that, again, consumers want the customized advertisements, but they're also really, like, careful about their data and, you know, they care about their privacy. So there is a really big trade-off, I think, in the industry right now. And as Janine was saying, like, 
we have to start thinking of an advertising world where we don't have these third-party cookies and we don't know everything about the customer and the journey and their behaviors on the internet. So I think it's a really important moment, right, in the advertising industry in general. And I'm really curious to see what's going to happen next. You know, you're an interesting person to talk to about this because you're by native, you're an Italian, um, and the Europeans are notoriously uh, security-prone and private. But you've just become an American citizen, right? So, like, <laughs> what what's your what's your perspective on privacy. I'll just tell you, for me, I think everybody knows everything about me anyway, so I just as soon have a customized experience. I, that's a little bit more an American point of view than European, but mm-hmm. you've been on both sides of the Atlantic, so what do you think about this privacy and issue? I think it's very different, right? I think, again, I come from Italy, and in Italy, we really care about privacy, and a lot of people have, you know, everything off and ad blockers, and they don't want, you know, companies to know anything about them. Uh, versus, as you said, in the U.S., it's a very different culture. Um, and, but, you know, I'm biased. I'm an advertising professor. I want people <laughs> or companies to know everything about me. I want those targeted ads. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to buy this now. So I understand, like, there is a bit of a cultural difference. But I do think that, you know, younger generations as well, even in Europe, are starting to change, right? And they live online. So they, they know that the brands they interact with know everything about them anyway. Yeah, I guess um, we're so a biased sample here. An advertising journalist and two marketing professors. Don't ask us. Right. We know what we think. <laughs> we're out of business if there's no advertising. So we're in it. Exactly. Okay, so let's let's just switch gears a little, Janine, and let's talk about this a very big story that you happen to write about. Tell us, in your own words, what you think's happening at Twitter. <laughs> Oh, man, it's uh, what a time at Twitter, you know, um, with, with the, you know, recent announcement, Lindsay Ocarino, who was uh, head of advertising at NBCU for a while, she started in the CEO role this week. It's an interesting time to to be there. There's a there's a lot of drama to be sure. You know, she's really being brought in to repair Twitter's relationship with advertisers. Obviously, the role is much bigger than advertising, and she'll be charged with a a lot of different aspects of the business. But, you know, at the core, Linda is a relationships person. She has fantastic relationships with brands in the ad world. Uh, She's a tough negotiator. People respect her. And I think, you know, Elon Musk knows that in order for Twitter to really continue to succeed, they need to figure out advertising and they've distanced advertisers have distanced themselves from Twitter, you know, since Musk took over last year. And it's going to take a bit to sort of repair those relationships. And what does advertising and Twitter look like moving forward? They keep referring to it as Twitter 2.0, you know, whatever that <laughs> whatever that means moving forward. But what so what are the opportunities there? How do they expand and really bring in advertisers in more compelling ways? How do they also create brand safety in an environment that, you know, is is definitely one that there is a lot of intense culture clashes on, uh, a lot of rhetoric that brands don't necessarily want to be associated with. You know, we're talking about brand safety, we're talking about privacy and all of those things. You know, it's important for brands. They don't want to be associated with anything that might alienate their core consumer base. So navigating that, it'll be an interesting task for Linda, but if there's anyone who is able to do it, it is certainly her. So I am interested in, you know, we're going in this week to the Can Lion Festival of Creativity. Right, right. This will be an important topic Mm -hmm. out at Can 
Uh, we're hearing that Linda won't be out there, but I am uh, I'm sure that this will be you know, a big part of conversations for those who are out there. It's pretty interesting, the things that I've read about Linda versus Elon Musk, apparently, and maybe you know because you're one of the people she might be courting, but um, that she throws lavish parties and she's into very luxurious things. It made me think, I would like to know this person. She spares no expense (laughs) for these fancy parties. And then Elon Musk is like... Air the bone. Don't waste money. Work twenty four seven. Like uh, right. so, talk about a culture <laughs> clash. Entertainment. She comes from the entertainment, the TV world. You know, these are places where it's about the the celebrities and the talent and the excitement of that. That's why advertisers are in. You know, advertising in TV, and that's where she built. You know, her history is really in that business, and that's one of lavish upfront parties where you know you see these celebrities parading on stage and then these big after parties. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that's the industry. Advertising in general is about those relationships and lining and dining. And sure, that's changed a lot, you know, from, you know, the 50s and the 60s. But that's still a really, really important part of the advertising business is those relationships. And that's how those relationships are formed. Yeah, so they'll be interesting to see, you know, Madison Avenue meets Silicon Valley and what kind of chaos right. ensues. You know, we only have like a minute left, but you mentioned Can. You got any predictions for anything there? AI, you know, that will be the hot topic of Can mm-hmm. for sure. Generative AI, ChatGPT, Dolly, all of the platforms that really since the beginning of this year became emerged as like, the it technology you know i think last year was really about web3 and the metaverse this year it's about ai for advertising it's both about the creative right like what can ai do to help in the creative process storyboarding things like that but then also automation and what parts of the job whether it's media buying or other things can automation play a bigger part of and i think that's going to be both in all of the panels and the conversations on stage and then off stage i think you'll see agencies talking about how they're using AI for clients. And you'll see brands talking about how they're applying AI to their creative. It's, it's going to be a big part of conversation. Well, that'll be fun. Ludo, you brought up this topic. Do you have any insights on this? Um, I mean, not specifically. I totally agree with Janine. I think AI is going to be the main discourse that can. Um, also, I think another topic that Janine had talked about was diversity and inclusion. I saw an article you wrote recently about that. I think that's going to be part of the discussion as well. Um, and so I'm just curious to see if there's going to be any actual, you know, advertisements that win any lions that have used, you know, in any part of the development process, AI. I think that's going to be really interesting to see. You know, you brought up something that I just can't resist. I got to take another minute on this, this DEI issues and how much that's backfired. Anybody's got opinions on Bud Light and uh, Target and what's happening here? You know, like I've been teaching in executives and things, and I think about brands have to be purpose-driven, but like you're looking at what's in the headlines and you think, Jeez, I'm not so sure. Are we stepping back on any of that, Janine? Do you see that in the industry, people stepping back on DEI initiatives? It's been a really interesting Pride Month. I think, you know, last year and in prior years, we saw brands come out, you know, sending us emails daily on the cool things they were doing, whether Mm -hmm. it's products in stores or interesting campaigns. And while we're still seeing products in stores, for sure, the sheer amount of backlash has made everyone really quiet. There is definitely yeah. a level of fear in the industry 
of saying or doing anything wrong one way or another. I think it definitely is calling into question the future of purpose marketing and how do marketers navigate it. I'm not saying it's going away. I'm not saying that people are going to fully pull back, but I think there's a lot of caution and fear. Ludo, how do you teach brand nowadays? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we discuss it, right? Like, is it something, you know, should brands be taking a stand? And what are the consequences? What happens when there is backlash? But I think it's a really important learning point, um, right? Even for students to understand that, like, in general, we want companies, consumers want companies that take a stand, and right? Whether it's political or social issues or, you know, pride, pride month, as you were saying, Janine. Um, so I think one way or another, it's something that's, like you were saying, not going away, and brands really need to think about it. Just the way in which they communicate it, I think, is going to slightly be changing. Absolutely. It's staying true to your brand and what is right for that's your right. brand. And also not backtracking. I think that's where that's the issue the key. is. There. It's be sticking true to what your brand stands for. Yeah. If I've ever seen a don't stick your toe in the water if you can't stand the water, you know, like don't do that. Don't go halfway. That's for sure the wrong answer. Well, we are out of time. Janine, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your stories and what you're looking at? Yeah, visit us at adage.com and our social channels on Instagram and Twitter at adage. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to take a short break. This is Marketing Matters Business Radio, Sirius XM. 132.